But I just feel, because it does take such energy and such commitment, uh, that uh, the baton should be passed to somebody else in roughly three and a half years' time. Who that is, that will be a matter for the States in three and a half years' time. Welcome to the Bailiwick Express podcast. My name is Matthew Leach. I'll be joined each week by a guest for a series of podcasts. Each will shine a light on topics from across the Bailiwick. The format will change week to week. We'll have debates, reviews, hot seat interviews and special guests. So stick with us as we offer some insight on some of the most important issues we in the Bailiwick face. Guernsey's chief minister, in a public interview recently, said he would be unlikely to run for the position again and that one term as president of PNR is probably enough. With more than three years left to go as the top politician in the States, we wanted to sit down with him and ask him why he made this statement and how it bodes for the rest of his term. In the process, Deputy Peter Furbrush spoke on rumours, allegations, his avoidance of social media and when we can expect PNR to buy a new ferry. But my first question focused on how the role of a deputy has changed for Deputy Furbrush since he was first elected as a sitting deputy in 1994. So this time round I'm going to assume <coughs> that it's been very different. Completely different. And what has changed for you? What has been different? Well there are less people uh, but it takes up more time. When I was in the States last time I think there were 57 people including deputies, concierges, and uh, Duzane representatives. Now, of course, there are just deputies and the two ordinary representatives. Takes more time. Uh, there are more, if I can say that, um, full-time stroke professional deputies than there were uh, 20 odd years ago. Um, the world is more complicated, I accept that. Guernsey is more in the focus than it ever was, the bailiwick of Guernsey. Um, it's more international than it was even 20 odd years ago, albeit we had lots of international obligations, etc. even then. But it's more international, and of course, uh, with technology, internet, etc., etc., the world is quicker. You know, there's no writing a letter and it takes two or three days to get a response. It's an internet, internet uh, communication, a, a WhatsApp or an email goes, and it's back to you within two minutes. We're left on our own more. We've got more independence. We're a crown dependency. We're not an independent sovereign state. But we make our own laws. We've got our own judicial system. Uh, we enter into international obligations, admittedly via the UK, but we're, our rights are respected, albeit we've got to be vigilant that our rights are respected. Um, but we've also got to look after ourselves more. We can't assume that the UK, as we perhaps did 30 years ago, will be there as a safety net. Absolutely. I wanted to pick up on one of your points there about um, uh, technology, I suppose, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, as a journalist, I get a small bit of grief from time to time, and when I do rattles around my head for a day but I can't imagine what you go through it must be completely different I mean how do you deal with I guess the course of public opinion well I think everybody's different I've always had broad shoulders because a from the background I come from and b the fact I've been a, <laughs> a litigation lawyer since I was 21 and I was a combative uh, litigation lawyer uh, you know if I'd march towards the bullets rather than walk away from them but it's still occasionally you know you go back I mean I was out last Saturday I got back some person, had, all of a sudden, I'd never heard of this person before. I put my f phone on, which I'd switched off, and there was a message, you know, you're terrible, you've done this, you've done that, you've done the other. I don't suppose you'll respond to me. Well, I did respond to that person, and I said, why don't you meet up? And then, of course, as often happens in those circumstances, the person goes silent. Uh, you know, because I'm quite happy to sit down and talk to somebody, 
we may well not agree at the end of that 10 minutes, hour, whatever long we're there, but at least the person can see I'm genuine in my views and I would hope they would be genuine in theirs. But there's a lot of keyboard warriors out there. And, and that's, the, that's the unfortunate bit. Because you keep off social media, really. I do, yeah. But you yeah. Might, they, people can still contact you. Of course they can. I, my email is available, my private email, my state's email, my mobile phone. And for some reason, Shaw's missed my landline uh, of uh, the uh, new tele- uh, directory. I think they did last time. I don't know why, because I didn't ask them to go X directory. But people can get hold of you. People can get hold of you. Very easy to get hold of you. And uh, I've got a friend that sends me tweets, you know, sends me extracts from tweets or something, tweets about me. So, yeah. But the reason I'm gone, materially gone on Facebook, technically I'm on it, but I don't really participate, and I'm not on Twitter at all, is it would just drag you in. You would be spending hours a day uh, dealing with that, and I don't want to do that. I don't think it's necessary because we are contactable in Guernsey. You know, it's not as though we're in an MP that somebody can only see once a blue moon. A Guernsey deputy is very contactable. And I guess these, I mean, I'm not going to dwell on any allegations or rumours in this conversation that came up in the past, but I, th- this snowballing into discussions online and stuff like this, is this part of the reason that I suppose you alluded to in that BBC interview that you will not stand for the same position again or you could not stand for the same position Well, no, again. I don't think it's that so much. I mean, let's... I, I've given really good notice because it's another three years and five months before we got an election and I hope to be fit and able to continue to do this job for that period of time. Uh, but I just feel, because it does take such energy and such commitment, uh, that uh, the baton should be passed to somebody else in roughly three and a half years' time. Who that is, that will be a matter for the States in three and a half years' time. Um, and also I've got to have the fact I'm you know, one of the older members of the States' Assembly, and we're all mortal, and I, you know, I'm going to want to do something else with my life post uh, being a States member. I mean, I may stay, stand as a States member in three and a half years' time, yeah. but if I am elected... I would want to be sort of a backbencher type. Okay, I, I, I appreciate your you mentioning that you know. Of course, you've got three, three, three-ish years left, or however long it is now. Yeah. And to make this, um, does this? How does this sentiment kind of bode for the next three years? Can we be, you know, well, confident? I, mean, I want on... to get things done, and it does frustrate me. And it's not his fault; it's the system, and we're trying to change the system. That it takes a long time. I mean, for example, this afternoon, I come here. I parked at the North Beach. I could have tried just opposite, but I parked at the North Beach. And I can see it's a great asset for town, but couldn't we do something better with that site? You know, it's practical things like that. We still have to have car parking, but could we move it under, underground? Could we move it somewhere else? Could we turn that into a, 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 a park of some kind? You know, I don't know, all kinds of ideas. The Seafront Enhancement Group uh, hopefully will take those kind of ideas forward in early course. But it's just something like that. It's getting something practical done. Not to leave a legacy, not to leave a monument, uh, but to actually do things for the betterment of the bailiwick. Um, I mean, why did you... Because you, uh, in your, in your, I remember in your video for when you first went for election, you said you wanted to cut the bureaucracy in the red yeah. tape. Do you think within this term there will have been steps made to yeah, I think avoid we, I, that? I think we've done it already. Uh, I mean, I'm, <coughs> I'm not saying it because I see them nearly every day, but the four members, the four other members of uh, Policy and Resources, and we've all come from different outlooks. I mean, you've got Mark Kelly, who's leader of the... Uh, the Guernsey Party. Uh, you've got Dave uh, Mahoney, who's an independent but uh, a business type, you know, in trust. You've got Heidi Salisbury, who's also a very uh, clever, intelligent politician with great experience. And you've got John Latoc, again, former Chief Minister, External Relations Minister. And I think we've got things done already, and I think we'll get a fair bit more done if we're a 
permitted because it ultimately is a matter for the assembly in the next three and a bit years. I really do think we'll do things, we'll do a lot of things. Uh, I don't think we'll achieve all the things we want to achieve because you never do. Um, I mean, why did you go for the role in the first place? Well, chief and Minister. Yeah. The Chief Minister. And are you still happy that you did? Yeah, uh, I'm still happy I did. Uh, I just felt that, uh, and no disrespect to anybody who's previously held the office, that I had a, uh, I was a local man. Now, I don't let me read because my children are half English, their mother's English, you know, it's nothing to do with that. I've lived in England, I've worked in England. Uh, uh, you know, I support England football and cricket teams, sometimes to my chagrin, but you know what I mean. The, um, it's my second place behind Guernsey. But I'm a Guernseyman of a certain age and a certain experience who's benefited, because I was born six years after the occupation, and my generation, when I went to law school, all paid for by the States. Every opportunity, when I wanted to come back to Guernsey, uh, and also when I became an English barrister, there were opportunities there that wouldn't exist for uh, people like me now, or be very difficult. And when I decided to come back to Guernsey, there were plenty of places, well not plenty because there weren't that many firms, but there were a number of firms that offered me a job. It's much more difficult for people now. And I want the 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024, Peter Furbrush, Petra Furbrushes, if you call it that, to have that opportunity that I had. And it's more difficult for them now. I mean, if you've got an affluent mum and dad, you can go to university, you're not going to have a university debt, are you? Because your mum and dad are going to pay for it. If you're not in that circumstance, you're going to have a university debt. You're going to have a debt that you're going to have to meet. I never had that. I left, when I qualified as a barrister, I could start, uh, you know, going out with any debt. I incurred some of my first years, because you do. But it wasn't insurmountable debt. I could pay it back. You know, that's just, that's a dark cloud hanging over people. I don't think there's much we can do about it, but I just want to try and improve and give everybody uh, the best opportunity that they can. It's interesting you, meant, you mentioned legacy within that then and, and all the work yet to be done because that was going to be one of my last questions for this but we'll come back to you know covid anyway because i think yeah. that's important but you mean your first term in office has kind of been uh, shadow it's all been about covid really i mean it is has. that i mean it has well not all but a lot you're right when i became president of policy and resources stroke chief minister in just about early second half of october 2020 covid was still with us and i can remember being at home on the friday the 22nd of january of 2021 and getting a call from a senior civil servant to say the strong advice is that we should be locking down and we had to act instantly because there was a, a dance festival at Beausajour which served one day to run so there are going to be hundreds of children and parents going the next day so we had to and we did we moved very quickly and uh, early morning I mean people knew by early morning that Guernsey was going to be locked down it was formally locked down about midday I think something like that perhaps a bit early. anyway around midday it took two months to come out of that and we were recovering stage by stage then of course we've got Omicron, which sort of raised its ugly head in late November, came to Guernsey in early December. So it's been, and it's sucked up so many resources. I mean, you look at Dr Brink and her team, working 16 hours a day for the last 18, 20 months, hardly a day off in all that period of time. Senior civil servants having to do other jobs in addition to their jobs. They've worked, they've worked their socks off over the last 20 months or so, and they don't get the credit for it. We do occasionally say, well done, well done but they don't get the real credit for it. People, oh, you know, lazy civil servants sitting around doing nothing. Just the opposite, they, you know. And it's pressured because people don't remember, and it's human nature, we're all the same. People don't remember the good things, they only remember the things that go wrong. Let us just say one day they went to Beaujolais and it was closed because, you know, the, I'm talking about the vaccination yeah. centre, because we didn't have enough vaccine or we didn't, uh, there weren't enough people there. People get castigated. The civil servants make sure that doesn't happen. I guess um, my question is, 
I mean, do you feel like you will be defined by this first year, or do you hope that the next three years of your service or your your tenure yeah, as yeah. chief minister will you'll be defined by something else? Well, I I think people are entitled will be entitled to look back for the whole four and a half years, and you know, uh, say the first sixteen seventeen months they did this, then this occurred and that occurred. But, I mean, it wasn't just COVID; we had Brexit as well because Brexit came about, and that that we're a tiny place. We're not an independent state, but we're almost independent in lots of ways. We've got a very small external relations team in Guernsey. The work they do is phenomenal. I didn't realise that until I became Chief Minister. Absolutely phenomenal. That's not going to stop because, of course, there are trade agreements. There's still the French to deal with. There's all kinds of things. that, And that's not going to stop. I mean, hopefully the French might calm down a bit. But uh, the, uh, there's always going to be something. Uh, and uh, that's taken a lot of work from, from people. And, I mean, John Latox on that job very well, but he was ill for a few months, if you remember, last yeah. year. And that's when I realised how much work he and his team did, because I had to step in. Um, and there's the economy. You know, the economy has obviously suffered as a result, as everywhere's economy has suffered as a result of COVID. It's recovering, but we've got a, a structural position that uh, we haven't invested enough money in the infrastructure. And that's not a criticism of anybody, by the way. We haven't invested enough uh, money in the infrastructure in the last X number of years. We've now got to do it. It's a bit like if you don't repair your car, eventually it will cease to work. Uh, some of our bits will cease to work. And also, uh, even though I'm a veteran years, you want life to be better for people than it is today. And today it's better than it was, you know, I'm talking figuratively rather than literally, because people have good and bad days. But generally it's better than it was. I, can, I look back to my childhood, and we had lots of freedom, etc. but people were generally in Guernsey, with limited exceptions, limited exceptions being perhaps 20% of the population, they were poor. I don't mean they were poor like in Africa, but they were poor. You know, it was outside toilets. I know I get my leg pulled for that. Uh, second-hand clothes. Uh, your parents just about managed to scrape by every week. And that was the majority of people in Jersey, not just the Furbrush family. Well, we're better off than that now, by and large. There are still some people, of course, who are in need of help, and there always will be. But generally, uh, people are, have a higher standard of living. I want that to improve. And you, um, you mentioned infrastructure in your conversation there, of course. Yeah. I'll be remiss if I didn't talk about the ferry today. Um, I know, yes, that's fair enough. <laughs> uh, I just was going to ask you a couple of questions. Of course, that, absolutely. All right with you. I mean, I guess PNR confirmed yes yeah. we'd said it before in an interview to one of your colleagues I don't mean a Bailiwick Express colleague yeah, okay. I'd mentioned it before Christmas and I think it came out in early yeah. January there was an, I guess an allusion to it in a way yeah. I, mean, yeah. um, I mean how long has this idea been developing of, of well, buying a, fa a ferry and a fair time I can't say 8 or 10 months or a year because I just yeah. can't remember but a fair time is it and has it has it been a conversation with Jersey or is it Jersey well, I think I, I don't want to criticise Jersey but there have been conversations not with me personally but with civil servants uh, and it hasn't developed as quickly as we would like. Now, I don't want to take that as a criticism of Jersey. They've got different, uh, different thoughts, different considerations. So we thought we've got to secure the, the address of the bailiwick of Guernsey. Uh, now, there still, still isn't done. It could well be done by the end of January, as I say. And what we're talking about by the end of January is a, a contract with Condor, not necessarily the purchase of the vessel being by the 31st of January, but that hopefully that would be relatively shortly thereafter. Uh, because the funding's got to be agreed, <laughs> and that's going to be looked at in the next 10 to 12 days. So I think January is still a realistic estimate, but if not, it won't be a big slippage. Uh, and of course, till you've got a commercial contract actually signed, you can't say it's 100% sure, but I, there's a better than even chance it'll go through. And the idea is a conventional ferry, uh, which would 
add support to the uh, cluster of ships that Condor has, uh, which would give more security and um, an enhanced service to the island. But one point that I guess I wanted to raise was that I remember before Bailiwick Express, we, yeah. we covered a report in 2015 about the Condor Liberation yeah. that said that the, Condor, uh, that the ferry services don't make any money, and especially the Guernsey routes make no money, actually lose money. And I, um, is this another Orini? Is this putting no, funding no, a service? No. But even then, I don't. I'll come back to Orini in a moment if I. Yeah, yeah for but sure. No, I mean it, it. It is a no. The you're right about uh, passenger services. Certainly for the last two years, they've made miles less than break even. Haven't it's they? Supported by freight. Isn't freight. It? Yeah. Freight is the thing. You need a composite carrier to bring your freight and to bring your uh, passengers. Because I doubt that it would be attractive <laughs> to a sensible, consistent sea provider to just service our, um, our passenger routes. You know, you've got to do the two. It's got to be commercial. They've got to look, whether it's Condor or any other company, in any other business, they've got to look to be able to make a, a profit over a period of time, uh, because that's how the world of business works. Now, as to Orany, I wasn't in the States when I think 2002 or whenever it was when Orany was purchased. Uh, I don't know how much foresight those people thought they had, but they had great foresight. They made, it was an excellent decision well made by the States of Guernsey all those years ago. Now, I may have got the figures wrong, but I think I think Orney with either capitalisation or you know, subsidies, or call it whatever you will, we're not allowed to call them subsidies, it's something like 90 to 96 million over the lifetime of the state's ownership of Orney, because it's very few years that it's made a profit and hasn't made one for a, a long time. Now, that that's public money. It's a heck of a lot of public money. But uh, it's still a good investment for the island. Now, I cannot tell you, because I've not been involved for the last 19 years, 20 years, that every penny has been well spent. I'm not able to say that. Uh, but, uh, so therefore, I don't want to be um, discursive when I say, oh, well, you know, so what? Because what I'm saying is that that's a good thing for Guernsey. When I went over, I had the great honour of going over uh, to um, the Cenotaph to lay the wreath for the Bailiwick of Guernsey uh, in November. Uh, and I was talking to my colleague <coughs> from the Isle of Man. Uh, in fact, it was the Speaker of the Isle of Man rather than the Chief Minister because the Chief Minister was engaged in doing something in the Isle of Man. He'd had to fly down at 8 o'clock uh, on a particular evening uh, with EasyJet because that was their only link to London. So that was their service to London. Admittedly, they're up there, so they've got Manchester and Liverpool, etc., etc. But as a finance centre or quasi-finance centre, one of the important places in the world is London. Yes. We have got, in normal times, what, five or six daily links to, to, to Gatwick. A fantastic service. Uh, but we've got to pay for it. Now, whether that in due course that should be three or four or two or three, I don't know. That will be rationalised in due course, or it may stay at six or whatever. But at least the financial world can see we've got a link and a pretty solid link with London and people can go backwards and forwards. Now, I suppose it could always be better, but it's pretty good for an island of 63,000 people and a Bailiwick of 65,000. And do you believe in their the promise or their aim of breaking even? I believe that's their intent. I think they've got an excellent chairman. He's only been in situ what, a year or two, and of course he's been hampered by COVID, and a very good new, and again only been around for a relatively short period of time, new chief executive. Who are, every states member who's dealt with him is very impressed, and he's not just a talker. I think he'll be a doer. It'll be a bit. I would like to guarantee they will break even or make a profit. I hope they do, but I do think they'll be very well run. I want to um, bring it back round to 
politics yep. um, to the position that you're in. Um, and I want to very briefly talk about the kind of um, state of politics at the mo- moment in Guernsey. Yep. Um, and there have been uh, things bandied around recently. And I know in that conversation with the BBC, you said, um, oh, no great respect for Gavin St. Pierre. And that uh, I don't want to get into the weeds yeah. here, but yeah. there is clearly a divide in the states. Yep. Um, is this something you've experienced before? And do you think it's something the public want? I don't think it's anything the public want, because it's not it's anything I want. I don't think the public... The public want to see people being harmonious in a small community like ours. It's not like England, where you know, the Labour Party says something and the Conservative Party says something else. We've never had that kind of politics. We've got consensus politics. People have had different views. Of course they do on all range of issues. But uh, I don't think they want it. I don't like it. Uh, I was criticised, I think, in the last term... Uh, because we were then not in the opposition, but we were perhaps in the minority. Uh, oh, it must be you that's being discursive. I think this term has shown that that isn't the case. But I am not the kind of individual, because it's not my nature, uh, and I've been far more biting my tongue than I've ever done in my life, that's just going to let those kind of things pass me by. So uh, it's a bit like, I remember Lord Denning, who was a very famous judge, quoted some, I think it was a French, uh, some French or something, saying, this animal is wicked. When I kick him, he kicks me back. Uh, you know, and that's the kind of thought that I've got. I don't want to be kicked, and I'd much rather we dealt with things. Uh, we have arguments. You know, some people might be in favour of assisted dying, some people aren't in favour of assisted dying. Some people think GST is the right way to go forward, other people don't. That's a fair enough view. That's a fair enough view. People are entitled to take whatever stand they want in relation to that and argue their case appropriately. And certainly, you know, if I take a particular view on something and somebody else takes a different view, I'm not going to fall out with them uh, if they're successful and I'm not. That's just the way it is. It's the personal, personalisation of it that is uh, unfortunate. And do you think, I guess, with the most recent development of, of future Guernsey, that we're getting a more binary government? That there, is there a right or left-leaning kind of situation, or is it more subtle than that? I think it is more subtle than that, because, um, uh, I mean, just for example, uh, the very able uh, Vice President, Deputy Salisbury, who done so much good work, both previously and in this term, when we had their thing about... Uh, the Catholic schools. Do you remember the debate about the Catholic yeah. schools? Uh, she decided to abstain on that, which I fully, fully, fully respect her view. I voted in favour of effectively retaining the, 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 the ability of the Catholic schools to choose their own senior people. So that's the kind of civilised debate and difference of opinion you can have without falling out with somebody. I mean, would it be fair to say that I mean, this division has stemmed from the very close election for PNR president that did happen? And well, I don't think it was that close. It was twenty three seventeen. I think that's a pretty in a forty in a forty man and woman thing. That's a pretty solid majority. Bear in mind when Deputy St Pierre was elected four years previously, it was twenty to nineteen with one one best paper or abstention. I can't remember which on the fourth ballot. So I think it was reasonably clear. I mean it wasn't thirty ten, but it was yeah it was clear enough. Six votes is six votes out of forty, whatever that percentage that is. Uh, that's a pretty good majority. I would have thought. Agreed, yeah, I take your point there. And um, I mean, I guess my point was saying that, I mean, the level of criticism aimed at you is, would have kind of be similar to the level of criticism that aimed at St. Pierre at the time. Does it just come with the role? I think it does. I think it comes with the role to a degree. I think it's been more personal because, uh, you know, I am a... Uh, Peter Roffey once described me, or more than once described me, as a shoot-from-the-hip character. Uh, perhaps Deputy St. Pierre is more considered. I'm not drawing personalities in relation to that. Uh, I think I am considered, but I think occasionally I do, uh, you know, I do see, I do say things that um, uh, are perhaps uh, not as politically correct as they otherwise could be. 
Fair enough. Well, I was going to move on next then to, I wanted to ask very quickly about the latest on our CEO, state CEO, Mark Bagari. What is the latest there? Well, Mark is the interim uh, CEO. Yeah. In a few months' time, March, April time, uh, we will be advertising for a permanent CEO. Mark might well apply. We'll we'll extend our net far and wide and we will appoint the uh, appropriate person for that job. How has he taken to the role since? I think he's done very well in the three or four months that he's been doing it. Uh, I think Mark, I knew him anyway from the fact I've worked with him obviously the previous X number of months uh, uh, in his senior role as part of the senior leadership team. And I was very impressed with him because he was very much involved amongst other things with COVID. You know, he was the sort of the main person for COVID and as was uh, uh, Mr. Whitfield. But Mark was the one who tended to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And he's continued uh, that degree of expertise and ability in the last uh, three or four months he's been an interim chief executive. A couple more pieces that I wanted to just get your take on while yeah. we're sitting here together. Um, I, I know in this role you would have interacted far more with the media than you would have in the past. Oh, sure. of course. And because, you know, we're there, of course, absolutely. And how have you found, lo- I mean, what do you make of local journalism in this? You mean being asking questions? I think it's very difficult for local journalists because, uh, again, just as we are uh, easily approachable, so are they. You know, if you write for the Daily Express or, or the uh, Guardian, uh, you're probably not going to be that contactable in the same way as you are in Guernsey. You know, you see you down the street, see you in the supermarket, that kind of stuff. Um, not you, uh, or not Bailiwick Express. There is one journal that I think could be more balanced. Uh, I can mention it if you like. Of course, if Guernsey you feel Press, The Guernsey Press, because I think that they have, they have columnists who all have roughly the same opinion. Now. I'm not saying they get rid of those columnists, I'm saying it should be more balanced. And I think what they should do, and I've invited them to do it, and I'm not sure with any degree of success, they could go to some of the newer deputies and say, Mr. Bloggs, Miss Smith, do you want to write a column? Most people might say I can't be bothered. Or not necessarily a column, the occasional article about, you know, a particular matter in the States or a particular thing that they want to uh, give their opinion about. Now, they may say, well, we've approached 26 deputies and they've all said no. If they say that, I believe them because they're not going to lie. But I'm not aware that they've done that. Do you so think? I think I think in a small jurisdiction, the government must be held to account. You know, the last thing you want is a uh, you know a Russian type thing where oh it's all wonderful, you've all done a great job because we don't do a great job all the time. We try, but we you know we get things wrong. Uh, and the machinery of government, and I'm talking about the general thing, isn't always as efficient as it should be, and it needs to be looked at, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you certainly should be. Uh, capable of being criticised, uh, but it should be fair and objective criticism. Do you think there has been unfair criticism? A bit, a bit, but I don't want to be seen to be, uh, I don't want to be seen to be saying um, that uh, uh, we've been criticised too much unfairly, because otherwise it would be saying, one of the criticisms we have, P&I is trying to create this thing about, you know, uh, only our view is right, and of course uh, it isn't. I mean, other people have got views to put forward, and uh, sometimes, yeah, I've sat down many times in my life as a lawyer and as a politician and my other you know, interests I've got in businesses, etc. And I've gone into a meeting thinking X and I've listened to what people said and I've come out thinking Y because I've been persuaded. Uh, you know, uh, often I haven't and often I've persuaded them. But you've got to have an open mind and sometimes, I can't, I can't remember the exact quote, but this is a quote from many, many years ago. Uh, even a fool can say a sensible thing, you know. So you've got to give people 
uh, within the bounds of reason. I mean, you don't want to sit there all day with somebody just which on and talks about something that's got nothing to do with what you're talking about. But you've got to give people the right to speak. I mean, I just, while we're on the moment of criticism there, I did want to ask about, have you seen the Private Eye article? Yeah, I did. Somebody t- t- and and I of did. course, that was nonsense, because A, Dr Brink and I didn't go to the dinner. Uh, and we were accused of going to the dinner. We never went. B, both she and I, I didn't go as a member of CCA. Paul Whitfield did a very good thing, because he's a rugby man, and he thought if we could get Warren Gatland to you know, spend, get his rugby team to spend some of the time in Guernsey, it's great. It was a fantastic idea. Organised, I think, I can't remember the exact time now, I think it was noon, let's say noon, on this period of day. Well, I come up just to, you know, meet and greet. You know, I'm the Chief Minister, welcome Mr Gatlin. Uh, are you going to bring your rugby team here? That kind of thing. And there were other people there. We were all socially distanced. Dr Brink was there. We all complied with every single rule. And what we didn't realise, and there's an argument about whether it was lunch or not, I don't think that's a bit of an arid argument now. All that's of a sudden, somebody said, oh, there's thing. a few sandwiches at the back. So we had a... I had a couple of sandwiches and so did lots of other people. Uh, yeah, we had a couple of sandwiches. Whether that's lunch or not, I don't know. That was it. That was it. But all rules were maintained. I mean, do you, I mean did you... Did and you, you f- could think, oh, well, shall I, you know, I'm not going to sue them. But, you know, <laughs> shall I sue? Because I can remember I used to read Private Eye when I was at school. And they always had a fund because they were always getting sued by people. Uh, what was the chap? There was some chap who always sued them and got hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of damages. Um... Uh, Goldsmith, Goldsmith. Yeah, uh, he used to sue them and get tons of damages. What's the point? You know, but it's complete rubbish, uh, and uh, it's just complete rubbish. Uh, but somebody sent it to them. There's no point trying to find out who sent it to them, and what's the point of that? And there's no point asking them for a correction because it's just, it's just absolute blinking nonsense. I mean, I guess the level of the type of media you have in the UK is completely different from of over course. here. And, and they just say things. I mean, I can remember saying. I was watching the telly, this is 30, perhaps 35 years ago, watching the telly, and I saw, it was something about Huey Green, I don't know what it was, I saw him say something. And a couple of private eyes later, I saw a quotation about Huey Green, and it said, it said he'd said such and such on the programme, and we were critical of him, and in fact he'd said just the opposite. You know, uh, so that, that's what you get. I mean, but I still like private eye, and I buy it occasion. <laughs> I'm sure he and his love will be very happy. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, well, these, I mean... Uh, we didn't want to talk about them, but with these moments in time where these, you know, allegations and rumours and discussions came up, did you, I mean, you must have found it difficult. I did, of course I did. I found it difficult. Uh, I knew it wasn't true, but I knew that, it would, you know, they would, uh, the dust is going to go up before it comes down. And what really, really, really annoyed me, there was a thing by a certain deputy about, uh, that my daughter had sent me in WhatsApp, or, uh, not to me, sent something else on WhatsApp, etc. And my daughter's got a family, uh, she's involved in the, the Christie's business, uh, she, uh, she was away with one of her children uh, at a particular something that the children the child needed in England, so she was missing her other child, etc., etc. She didn't need that at that time. Uh, and Do you think it was an irrelevant thing to bring up? I thought it was. It was an unnecessary thing to bring up, in my view. Uh, in my view, and if that person had really wanted to have a, a balanced view, why didn't they pick up the telephone and speak to me about it and say, "I've seen this that your daughter sent her friends or whatever." What are you going to say? Never happened and said it appeared in the media. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll move on from that to the yeah. end. I know I wanted to finish off on discussing about COVID briefly, yeah. of course. I mean, I did want to ask about, you know, the UK dropping its isolation limit to five days today. We'll, we'll look at that. We've considered it. We've got a... What, when COVID was at its uh, peak, I'm not saying it's not its peak now, but 
uh, there were times when we were meeting every day. Uh, you know, the CCA would meet every day. And certainly Dr. Brink, I, the former chief executive, Mark Degari, Al Brouard, Heidi Salisbury, we would meet every day. We'd have a meeting every day at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, whatever it was, for a time. We now meet once a week, but we will meet more regularly if we need to. I hope we don't, frankly, because I hope we're coming, I, I hope, I'm not the expert, we're coming out of it. But we have discussed that, you know, whether it should be five days instead of six and a bit days now, because if you realise it, if you have your test first thing on the seventh day and you, you, you can go out that seventh day. So it's six and a bit days, really. But we'll listen to what Dr Brink advises us and to the other evidence. If the evidence is that it's safe to do so, then I'll be very surprised if the CCA doesn't reduce it from seven to five days. But that'll be on the basis of the evidence and the advice we get. And you meet on Tuesday next week, is that Ch right? Yeah, yeah. Tuesday at uh, 12.30. Um, and so I guess we've, you're always, you who seem to have been damned if you do, damned if you don't the entire time. Yeah. Um, are there any decisions that you are particularly, you know you 100% got right? And are there any decisions that you know actually maybe you got wrong? Yeah, I think the 100% right one, uh, I think the, uh, it's an easy one. The 100% right one, the best one was, uh, no, it's not the best one, but the necessary one was closing down in January. Clearly that was the right decision, but that was an easy right decision because, uh, you know, uh, getting them wrong, perhaps, 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 I'm sure they haven't got wrong or, you know, on reflection could have done it better. I think perhaps explaining things to the public more uh, readily. Because what I intended to do, and what we've done a bit, but it's been knocked obscure a bit by COVID, is to have public meetings, drop-ins, etc. That's not been possible recently. Now, I'm not saying that all the drop-ins have been fantastically attended, albeit the last one when we were talking about the tax review was very well attended. And public meetings at the coattails, you know, that kind of stuff. We were going out in the media, going to the radio, explaining yourself. I'm sure we could do more of that. Uh, albeit you don't want to be doing it all the time because you've actually got to do the work as well. Why haven't, is that not been the case? I think COVID's part of it. And also we've been learning a lesson. I mean, people criticised us uh, for not really going out to the public enough when we had the first uh, debate about the tax review. Uh, remember, we, that was a green paper. We changed it to effectively a green paper and we changed our view in relation to that. No criticism, because I think our comms team, that the civil servants do a brilliant job, but perhaps we could have done it. Perhaps we, the politicians, could have done that better. Because uh, remember, it was all about GST and all that kind of stuff, which is fair enough, because GST will come out, will be... A, the debate in July and will be a central issue and the states are going to have to decide whether we bring in GST or not. Um, well fine I mean if we conclude with I mean is there anything else you'd like to say? Well is no anything... not really I think it's a great honour you know a great honour being the Chief Minister it is a lot of work uh, you know not every day is 14 hours that's to be a complete lie but there isn't a single day where you, you don't look at your emails at 9 or 10 o'clock at night and think you've got to do something. There's always a day that you've got to do something. So, and again, that's fine. That's part of the job. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Bailiwick Express podcast. The title track was Shift My Weight by Luno. If you enjoyed it, I know it's a pain, but please like and share. It all helps. And remember, you can hit bailiwickexpress.com to stay right up to date with whatever is happening in the Bailiwick. You can find us online, on social, on email and on internet radio. There'll be more from me, Matthew Leach and all the Bailiwick Express team next Friday.